Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 76 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Chateau Raymond. And I'm joined here by my suave co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader, the man who's given you a peek behind the curtain, the man who's taught you how to think like a villain, a man who's bitten more poisonous fruit than Adam and Eve, the four plate bench presser, JJ, (laughs) how's it going? Good, Ray. Good, Ray. But I never did four plates. I could never crack four. I I, I don't know. What's uh, your buddy Omni? I don't know. He says otherwise. Oh, that geez. Well, they, oh, he, he wears one of those bench shirts, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the Crocs <laughs> to the gym. I can never, uh, I can't support that, but, you know, to each their own. <laughs> to each their own. I can't, yeah, I can't. The Crocs, I can't deal with it. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, no, it's funny. Um, I, I see a lot. I see it as a trend since he brought it up. I'm seeing people at my gym wearing it. I don't know what it is, but. Oh, really? You know, not to derail, not to derail this podcast and our guest today. <laughs> is one of my favorite individuals to conversate with in the known universe. She's gentle, kind, intelligent, genuine, a coach to traders and executives of light alike, author of the Wall Street Coach and host of Wall Street Coach podcast. And she's made the courageous move to move from the big city to the big island. I'm talking about the ever gracious Kim and Curtin. Kim, how's it going? Going great. How are you, Bray? How are you, JJ? Great, great. Doing great. So awesome to have you back. You know what? About a year Mm. since we last had you on, episode 46 for the listeners. If you guys haven't listened, please go back. I thought we had a great conversation um, on on a lot of different topics. Um, So I suggest you guys go back and listen to it. And um, in that meantime, I've had the honor to be a guest on your podcast. Kim, which was a lot of fun. I had a great time, but you, you set me up to be honest, (laughs) because I had to follow up Matthew McConaughey, like the Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) the the actor. I'm sure all the listeners know, uh, Kim, that's a tough act to follow. I mean, you know, Ray, anybody could handle it. It's you. (laughs) (laughs) Too kind, too kind. Uh, what, what were your takeaways? Well, for one, I love the podcast and I, I loved him. I read his book, green lights he's a fascinating character he this guy he's he's in tune uh yeah what were your takeaways for talking to him you know the takeaways of talking to him were the same takeaways from reading his book uh his comfort with self-reflection his comfort with being um he's he's comfortable in his skin of being a human he doesn't have inappropriate expectations on himself. And what that inspires for me uh, personally is that when you don't have these really high expectations of yourself, you know, you have goals, you have things you want to reach for, but then when you potentially fall short of them, you are not as likely to beat the hell out of yourself. And so that's what I think he really inspired for me personally was, wow, here's a guy who's self-reflective, looking at the shadow sides that he has within himself, but not sitting in judgment of them, but curiosity. And then that facilitates his ability to transform them. Yeah. yeah, And I I feel like that can like lead into 
uh, potentially what we're going to talk about today um, about the traders index or, you know, I, I know you trader positioning index, traders positioning index, because I think that's something, you know, me and you've talked about with, you know, myself personally, maybe having higher expectations or high expectations of oneself and how that can, yes. you know, be detrimental in certain aspects. And we'll, and we'll touch on that. For sure. Um, For sure. And just, you know, just a reminder to listeners, if you guys would like to join JJ, myself, and a support of community traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. And so, Kim, before we jump into all of that, um, just maybe just uh, briefly, you know, for listeners who are, you know, um, first getting to know you are wondering, I know a lot of times people don't even know what a coach is. Well, what does a coach do? Do you mind just, you know, maybe speaking to that and maybe, you know, what you do when you work with clients? Sure. You got it. Uh, you know, my first exposure to coaches was when I was working in finance. Uh, I was very generously compensated, but I didn't feel that I was doing my full expression of myself. I felt, uh, you know, bored is really the best word for it. I, I wasn't really being challenged at the level that I knew was possible. And so I hired a coach, an executive coach at the time, to really help myself reconcile with this desire for more. And it wasn't so much more money, although I'm sure that was part of it, but also just that sense of more uh, utilization of my skill set. And that coach uh, and that experience uh, was so profound that it opened up my eyes to becoming a coach. Uh, so I've been a coach 15 years, and I have primarily worked with those in the finance world. My company is called The Wall Street Coach, and that is to work with those who are in finance or as traders, especially the last two years. We've done so much work with traders because I think this volatility is, and I think also the youth the younger population is realizing, wow, if I get what's between the ears, uh, you know, navigated properly, then my trading improves. So it, it's ultimately a coach is going to help every individual they work with to find a way to be as neutral in the middle of volatility as possible. You're going to have your reactions because you're a human being, but it, it, coaching will teach you how to come back to center and not overvalue or undervalue key pieces as a trader you need to be connected to. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I, I know, I know when you first started off, you worked with um, probably like higher net worth individuals. I know you still do, but then you also, as you progress, you kind of got into uh, working with some like retail traders. And I'm just a little bit curious if you, you seen any, like, um, I guess like one similarities between them, but I, I'm imagining there's some differences and maybe with things that they struggle with or they excel at. Yeah. You know, they, there's a lot that they have in common because they're both dealing with, you know, the most competitive game in the world, right? The market, uh, the volatility, I think that retail day traders go through is in a way, a lot, there's a, there's a different tax, so to speak, mental tax, yeah. emotional tax, because when you're a retail trader, you work for yourself. It's, it's, it's all you, you know, you don't have anybody. It, plus it's very lonely. Uh, it can be very isolating. It can be very hard to have anybody who understands what that day to day is like so that you are not able to articulate your uh, challenges and have somebody give you empathy at the end of the day. 
And just as painful is when you have great success, you can't really share that either because people will misunderstand it or be jealous or confused or think, you know, you're, you're just a baller all the time. And you're like, no, no, these days that I do well, make up the days that I lose, but then you can't get into that whole conversation. So I think there is a different kind of pressure on a retail day trader than there is for somebody who's an institutional trader. But look, there's, everybody has their challenges, but I think Look, if you're a retail trader, God bless you, because you have taken on a very challenging path. Yeah, true, yeah, true. yeah. No, it, it, you know, I, I think the, the the bit that stands out to me is like it, you're talking about how lonely it can be at times, uh, and um, at least the people like I know in my everyday life, and I think back to like when I played poker, there was always this like no one understood like really what I I did, and I would have to you know, thank God that, you know, the advent of online and the internet and stuff. And there's like people you could communicate that way or like, especially with trading. That's what I like about trading. Like it's, it's, it's way more supportive. It's like, uh, you know, you can be in the same trades with people. It's not, it doesn't seem as competitive as at least poker was. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a, I think a huge point, JJ, you've, you've, uh, you know, I know something we talk about a lot, like the difference (laughs) is what, what have, uh, what have you seen being, uh, on both sides? Bad, uh, retail is way harder. It's, yeah. it's just, there's just, you know, you're, you're, you're really out there. Uh, you know, you're, you're in, in a war where other people have Exocet missiles and Harrier <laughs> jump jets and, you know, and all this ordnance and destroyers and you're out there with a plastic spoon. Yeah. You know, um, so you have to really pick your battles and mm-hmm. it's like almost like guerrilla tactics. You know, you have to get in, uh, mm-hmm. steal what you can and get the hell out. Yeah. Uh, especially in markets with price action, like we have now, it's, it's, it, it's, it's not the easiest time to learn how to trade. So yeah, it's, I find retail a lot more difficult than institutional because all you're doing is there, you're directing the order flow and you're in charge as opposed to trying to figure out what somebody like me is doing, yeah. um, you know, and we have our tools, but you know, if you don't have discipline, Oh my God. I mean, so many desk traders have no discipline at all. You know, uh, you know, because we just surf order flow, uh, you know, we're complete uh, degenerates. You know, <laughs> They come in, you know, I mean, you see these guys coming in hungover and yep, stuff totally. like that. And they're still making good money, you know, because they're yep. exec- executing traders. Uh, it's completely different, completely yep. different. It's 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 one of the most humbling things I've ever done in my life was to mm-hmm. be a retail trader. It, I think, it, oh, it takes you down a notch like it takes you down a peg instantly. Yeah. You know? That hum- humility is so powerful. Oh, yeah. I think that's such a yep. important point. And in a way, that's why I feel like this, this is such a school of consciousness, right? Like trading is the ultimate mirror. You yeah. are going to get what you give and it forces you every day to be with that. And that, how can that not be humbling? How can it, it, that not be? Truly. And, and also, I think the thing is when you, don't get anything and you give it, give it, give it, don't get anything. How to deal with that is, uh, you know, it's, it's really soul crushing, you know, uh, you know, because especially if you're, if you're not getting something or you're not understanding something, uh, you know, you start questioning everything about yourself. But, but I, but this would be the place that I would point somebody. If it is soul crushing, then you need to, 
pull back yeah. and start to practice more neutrality because that tells me then that person who might feel completely crushed, they're looking possibly for their sense of uh, worthiness yeah. through their PL, through yeah. the way the market reacts or responds to them. And we can't put our sense of self-worth in, in that because we are completely then at its mercy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Kim, what do you, um, one of my, uh, favorite uh authors ryan holiday he he's he's he writes on stoicism but like philosophy in general and i love one of the titles of his book and the book itself the yeah. obstacle is the way yeah great and, title and i um I'm, I'm sure we've talked on this but I, I think like you know for traders especially like embracing the the obstacle or the struggle or the the, the areas that you're weak in um is yeah the obstacles the way i guess it kind of speaks for itself for sure. But that, I think that's really hard to ask people to do when they haven't been taught the distinction between uh, those parts of themselves that are unpleasant. Most of us, when we've had to even see things about ourselves that are less than ideal, our culture and often the family we come from has shamed us for that, has made us wrong, had, has, has, removed, has kind of pulled love and belonging away from us. So it's hard, I find, for people to be able to wrap their arms around uh, a willingness to look for their shadow stuff because they're so afraid that they won't get to belong anymore, as if they're, as if they're one uh, on their own, but like, no, each of us human beings have shadow side to us. Each of us have places where we're not our ideal self, but if we don't make ourselves wrong for that or feel ashamed, then we can be much more willing to step into curiosity and be like, huh, that's how I showed up. You know, let's say I yelled at that guy who passed me on the road. Isn't that, instead of beating myself up, I shouldn't have yelled at him. I shouldn't have cursed at him. I shouldn't have given him the finger. If instead we're willing to say, huh, I wonder how come that really pulls up such a reaction to me. I have a much better chance now at changing that behavior than if I make myself feel ashamed for it. And that's what traders I find do a lot. They make mistakes. There's a, a big blow up and then they beat the hell out of themselves. I'm like, that's not going to give you what you need to not have it happen again. That will actually keep you repeating the same mistake over and over again. Yeah. So how do you, how do you cultivate, how does one cultivate the um, like observer self, I guess? Yes. That's a great word for it. Uh, what couple of ways uh, I do believe that meditation and stillness and a pausing, you know, call it what you will, uh, is important to your development. I do think most day traders are very diligent about keeping their diary about their trades, but very infrequently do those journals keep track of their emotional states when they've been triggered. You know, no traders coming to their trading desk uh, without other factors, you know, are you, uh, you know, this pandemic, especially a lot of more people sometimes are in the house, right? Kids have been home from school. Elders need caretaking. Uh, we, our responsibilities 
exist. And I think sometimes traders have a tendency to think, oh, I'm just going to trade and all of my personal life won't come with me, but it does come with you. And if you haven't observed, oh, I'm really being stressed personally, well, then you're going to be uh, unconscious to how that stress shows up in your work side, in your trading side. So first step is start to notice what is what are the things that are pulling on you all day? What are the challenges you're in the midst of personally and professionally? Because that is you just taking yourself a little bit above and looking down from the mountain over your life. That's yeah. one answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pardon the some construction Are going construction? on. Yeah. So, so as that construction was going on, and we were, I was talking about this, I was trying to myself. I was stressed. I was like, I can't believe that noise is happening now. When I talked to the two construction workers about that doing it after this time, and so in that moment, that was a great example of me trying to practice what I preach. Like, okay, it's happening. I'd rather it not be happening. Lucky for me, right now is that, you know, I would not have that happening if I could stop it. Like, so I had to kind of find my center, even though I was in the middle of talking, I had to come back to center. And that's what every trader can practice. You're in the middle of a, a really scary moment, come back to center. Holy shit. I didn't think this was what was going to happen. This is a surprise. Okay. How do I come back to center? So now I can respond instead of react. We're all going to have those moments, but we, have, and this is a practice, right? You don't do it once and you're done. It's a practice, a practice of neutrality, a practice of observing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's cool. It, it's, it, it's good to see. I think like the, these concepts get, getting more traction. Cause I think what we're talking about, Kim, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's kind of more uh, Eastern philosophy, I guess you would say. So I think a lot of times people, uh, America, Western side of the world are a little bit resistant, but I think we're seeing people are really seeing the value, um, in this and the, in the, the practicality, um, yes. in it as well, which I think is, which is great. Cause that's what it's all about practice, right? We can sit here and talk about it all yeah. we want. And I think it's the same thing with trade. That's a beautiful thing about trading too. And I was talking to someone about this today. It's like, and it was a new trader like two months in and wants to spout out to me all these different books they read and videos and, I'm like, that's great. But you also, you don't have the experience. You, you like, it's when game day comes, it's totally different, yeah. you know, and, and you have to, you got to cultivate both. You can't just rely on your, uh, your book knowledge. Like you need to get out there and do it as well. And that's what I, you know, I love about everything we're talking about is like, you have to, yeah. but you have to practice this and yes. it's all about the, the practice and the experience. Whenever I've, whenever I've talked to a trader who's telling me, you know, they don't have discipline, um, you know, what I'll say to them is in their trading, like, I don't have discipline in my trading. And I'll say, well, what, what's your discipline look like in your personal life? And they're like, well, why, why do we have to talk about that? I was like, well, yeah. are you able to, are you, are you a man or woman of your word? You know, do you fly off the handle and, you know, whoever flies past you on the road? Like, do you see evidence of discipline in your personal life? And if the answer is no, what makes you think the second you start trading, you're going to suddenly be this expert yeah. in discipline, Yeah. right, yeah. JJ? Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. I was very, 
I only get disciplined when I want something and I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But then the other times I won't. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I took for granted that, you know, because I'd had the discipline to do, you know, build a career institutionally. So I thought, you know, this retail would be, no, that's a, no, no problem at all. But then, you know, you have the discipline to sit and wait because you have to react. Uh, I mean, you have to respond, you know, and that's really interesting what you said. Uh, respond instead of react and have that. I think a lot of people, um, which I, I see right now, I see a huge amount of impatience and the, the willingness to sit back and actually observe and learn. Um, I, I don't, I, people really find that hard because it's not like it's something else. It's about money. So everybody thinks if you're sitting there and you're not making money, you're not mm -hmm. working, yep. even though you're trying to learn how to make money. Yep. Um, you know, uh, and they will not not be in a trade and just and so and as soon as they go into a trade there, it's, it's like a dog. They're just their brain is just not thinking about uh, about learning at all, because it's against, you know, if you say anything that's against what their position is, uh, it's just, you know, they're so attached. They're so yeah. attached and they're so attached because their identity and their self-worth is tied up in that trade. Yeah. And, and, and oh. you know, and this is also the culture we live in now. It's a culture of instant gratification. You yeah. know, if you're bored, what do people do? They grab their phones. People have, we have not the culture and the technology is moving in such a clip that unless you have a practice of where you don't receive instant immediate gratification, yeah. then you are constantly at the beck and call of the dopamine fix. You're oh. constantly looking for the dopamine fix and that nuance of learning that you're talking about, like, Hey, maybe this trade is wrong, but see what you can learn. They're like, no, no, no. I need my dopamine fix. And you're like, but the dopamine isn't going to solve the long-term uh, yeah. lesson here that you could potentially learn. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it, I just have a, it's very odd to me because I was raised in the business. So when people don't look at it as a business, I just find that fascinating. Uh, and it becomes about, you know, sort of uh, like an addiction kind of a thing and, I'm like, well, no, no, it's like oh, a business. It's an addiction. You know? Yeah, it's not like an addiction. It's an it addiction. is, yeah. But, but you don't, you don't realize it. Dopamine. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. action. Yeah. The dopamine addiction is yeah. action. And then, look, this is happening not just for traders. This is happening for anybody who has a mobile device. You are constantly having the ability to be stimulated. And when you get that over and over and over again, you crave more of it even though your day-to-day -day satisfaction decreases, your deep, deep sense of like belonging decreases. So we've got this constant ability to get our dopamine fix without having a prescription, right? And yet we're feeling more lonely, more isolated, more depressed cohort than we've ever been. Brene Brown talks about this in her talks. That is because you we're not in this practice of waiting for reward. And that is what I think, you know, traders really are forced to bump into right away, um, which is part of why, like, you know, I have a collection of ebooks, but your listeners, guys, I'm going to 
give them for free uh, a book on trader discipline. It's just go to traderdiscipline.com and it's like a 30 page book, but it talks about how discipline ultimately is there's, there's layers underneath. It's like, you know, the iceberg that like looks like it's this big on top, but underneath it's so much bigger. And that part of it is that concern around how do I learn how to not have instant fix? And meditation is one of the practices. I know, Ray, that you meditate. What, what happens to you when you don't meditate? Do you find your trading changes? Yeah, I am more reactionary. Um, and instead of, uh, uh, you know, just being more full of observe, being the observer, uh, I'm more reacting. I am like quick to be frustrated. I, my son annoys me. So Hey, what are you doing? You know, like I'm just, <laughs> uh, as opposed to, I'm not, I don't have like that step back and, you know, and, and we were talking about this on the phone earlier about the, all the different inputs um, that society brings now. And, and we were talking about even just like the kids growing up and like me raising my son, like in this type of environment, um, you know, I mean, we're all have it right now. We have all these different inputs coming from everywhere. And I, I think like someone in me, I can only talk for myself. I need to step back. I need to shut, I need to shut off. And like, that's what meditation, um, does to me. And I, I've just seen the benefits for myself. Um, and yeah, like I, you know, I, for me to be my best self, I need to be doing, uh, doing that practice. Um, and yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, there's something you asked me before about, you know, how does somebody begin to practice that neutrality? One of the ways that I usually, uh, recommend people consider it is the realization that there is sometimes this inner voice within us that is an inner gremlin gremlin or an inner critic. And it, usually is a voice that doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. So a lot of times, especially at the beginning of coaching with somebody, I'll suggest that they consider reading Taming Your Gremlin because that book helps us identify that internal voice that tells us we should have, we would, you know, would have, could have, should have. And those phrases, once you start to pay attention to the gremlin voice, that voice that is a naysayer to you all the time, that also facilitates an awareness of that intuition voice, that higher self voice. But sometimes there's so collapsed in the beginning of self-awareness work, uh, there people can be a little confused about, well, is, the, is it the inner gremlin that's telling me I should sleep in today? Uh, or is that my higher self? And, yeah. you know, it's hard to understand the difference between those voices until you start paying attention. But it doesn't have to be fancy. It, it can be very simple. Yeah. Just start to observe yourself and be conscious of like how you react and or when you do respond, what's happening underneath both of those ways of showing up. Yeah, I think that that's a... Um interesting point you bring up because that was something like it's like oh well is this just like my monkey mind talking is this like you know the yep. you know my real self talking and I think that's why it's just like just just practice you know so in my case just meditate just sit in like things will resolve resolve themselves and I guess even bringing it back to what we were talking about between like yeah I could read about these things all day and I do I love reading you know I love reading I, I love all that stuff but you also need to practice <laughs> you need to <laughs> go out and do it as well and like you know 
and like, you know, these things will, you know, I guess, you know, resolve themselves somewhat. And I, I think something that really helped me that I came across recently, Kim, um, was talking about like using your brain, like your brain as the tool, not mm-hmm. like having your brain use, you know, use you in, yes. in essence. And like, yes. I think that's what meditation helps me with um, yeah, as well. For sure. For yeah. sure. You, you become the driver of yeah. the brain as opposed to that brain driving you. And uh, one of the spiritual teachers, I have many spiritual teachers, but one of them is Eckhart Tolle. And he speaks about his, in The Power of Now and his other book is A New Earth. He talks about how there is often from pains, pain that we've lived through, there's something he calls the pain body. And the pain body is this kind of experience that will keep us kind of locked in negativity, locked in seeing the glass half empty. And he talks about too, the only way we begin to start to notice that is through observation. And that we realize that we aren't so much uh, caught up in the detail, but to just pull yourself back a little bit and be like, oh, isn't that fascinating? I'm thinking these thoughts right now. Isn't it fascinating that I have resistance to listening to JJ's advice when I'm in a treat, right? Isn't that fascinating? What, What is that about? Start to be curious. Curious and neutrality are the most important words when it comes to wanting to increase your self-awareness. Are you able to meet yourself in neutrality and with curiosity? Don't be so judgmental of yourself. That allows you to be able to see things about yourself that perhaps are costing you, right? We There are inhibitors, invisible inhibitors that we are all in the midst of every day. If we're not conscious to what they are, they're going to cost you more than you probably want. Yeah. I, I always remember the phrase you told me, uh, less certainty, more curiosity or, or vice versa. Maybe I bungled it, but yeah, I've always, I always like that. Saying. Yes. Yeah. Let be less certain and more curious. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, that's a great, and that, that's so applicable to trading. Like, once you think you have it is like the time you're, you know, it's just not a good place, not a good place and to be a trader. And I think, I think, I think this is a good, um, good way to segue into the traders index. Is, is that mm-hmm. what you're calling it? Trader positioning index. Trader yes. positioning index, um, which, you know, I guess, you know, talking to like, um, our minds, our brains, and maybe the delusions, uh, we tell ourselves judgments, the judgments, the judgments, the, the judgments. And this, this was one of the yeah. things. And I even think I first look at it in March, you told me, right. That's when I took it. Yep. Um, I, I thought it was, you know, revealing then, but now me looking at it again, uh, it even, um, I picked up some things cause even some things might, I even been resistant to in March and been like, Oh, well, you know, yeah. for example, what, uh, discipline and organization, I scored not relatively well compared to my other, the other scores, and it might need some work. And- but on the self side, let's just clarify that, okay, yeah. that on, the, on the work side, very strong with your discipline. But yeah. on the self side, it was asking for some attention. And so that is an indicator. And let me just say that Ray gave me permission to speak about yeah. this before anybody hears me saying it. Um, but it, it indicates that you could be putting other needs other people's needs that are in your life ahead of your own. 
Yeah. And it was, it was funny to just, um, you know, we were talking on the phone and we're going over some of these things and you're like, oh, well, you know, uh, cause I was like, what? Like, I, I think I'm a disciplined person. I think, uh, you know, I know I'm not the greatest organ, you know, uh, organizer or whatever. And you're like, well, you know, like maybe your workspace could be a little messy. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, oh shit, I got coffee mugs everywhere. <laughs> My papers, you know, and just like things like, you know, things like that. But, um, I was like, uh, I'm like, okay, like, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's areas for, for improvement. Um, and I've always, I've always been one. It's like, I, I don't think I'm like scared to go after these areas. And I think like, these are things, the obstacles, the way like to go about it, if we want to make improvements, I think these are the things we have to, you know, for sure. Uh, for sure. And that's, we, we, we all have, you know, a collection of, uh, how we view the world and, and the, and I'm, I'm just always curious for my own self-development to understand where are those inhibitors and, and not just inhibitors, but where are my, uh, where do I have excellent judgment? Where can I trust myself more? Where can I not question my judgment? Because, you know, for myself, I've done this consulting coaching for 15 years in the beginning, I, I could see the results my clients were creating for themselves, but there, there was a part of me that was probably like, well, who am I to have these impacts, especially with people who are at much more higher level positions or certainly financially in a different kind of bracket than I am at. There was a part of me of like, wow, how can I do this for these people who are so successful? But when I did the judgment you know, index for myself, the trader positioning index for myself, I was like, this is how, <laughs> because I have excellent you know, ability to see the big picture. And so I think for, especially for traders, it is game changing to understand how, what does your judgment look like? I mean, it, it shows us over 70 different indicators of a person's judgment. In my opinion, I would never step into trading without knowing my score for it, because it's going to tell me right, right away. And am I built for this? Some people aren't built for it and that's okay, but better to know that than before you lose your whole account. And what is it that you need to develop for you to be able to succeed at this? Because if you if you don't have discipline on the work side, then you're going to potentially have a very long uphill climb. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, b before we jump into maybe some specifics on these and then, you know, because, uh, you know, I think we too, for the listeners, we need to make the distinction between the work, the work side, the personal side yes. of the index as well. But I guess can maybe... Um, you know, backtrack, like, you know, what, what goes into this? How, how is this judged? How is this calculated? Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, just give us a little um, rundown sure. on that. You know, it's one of the most mathematical scientific uh, tools out there. It was created by uh, Dr. Hartman, who is a contemporary of Abraham Maslow. Uh, Maslow was fascinated by needs that were, you know, in regards to human development and satisfaction. And Hartman uh, was fascinated with people's judgment. Um, the reason I decided to get certified in this and my team as well is because we were finding that if, if you, a lot of people do personality assessments or IQ assessments, this is not that because 
in my experience, I had taken quite a lot of assessments when I was in finance just to get the positions I was applying for. But I have to say, after you take them a bunch of times, you know what they're asking you. You know what the answer is they want to hear. Uh, so I think some of those are easy to game, so to speak. Um, but also understanding somebody's personality is not the same as understanding somebody's uh, judgment. It's, it's a radically different, but the judgment is going to tell you everything you need to know. And like from, let's say a person walking into this room and seeing a wire on the floor, are they going to see the wire, notice it at all? Are they going to move the wire out of the way for the next person? Or are they going to just completely trip over it? That is what the granularity this assessment can give. And it speaks to our ability to interact with people, our ability to have work ethic, be tactically able to work, plow through things, which I think for traders is going to be a necessary ingredient. Um, and then big picture, your ability to see the consequences of your actions. Um, you know, the people who have taken it thus far, they've been blown away at what it speaks to. And the self side, what's so fascinating to me, because I've been a coach for a long time, I've always known the self side informs the work side. But when people have this put in front of them, they can, most people, our self side is compromised because we are in a culture where work is escalated. It's always, you know, raised up. So most people look at this and they're like, whoa, look at that self side. I have to give that a little more attention, but that self side is the foundation that that work side sits upon. And the people who think I can just do all work and not worry about the self side, they are going to have cracks in the foundation at some point be it health, be it relationships, be it personal satisfaction. So I love that, that it helps people see right away, oh, that self-side is actually these strong legs that the rest of my work side sits upon. Yeah, yeah. That, and that, that was like the first thing that stuck out to me because I've always always believed that that the, you know, your your personal side and your work side intercorrelate. And so I was a little surprised when it came back and I was like, you know, scored, scored well with the work side, but the person, well. you know, the, Very the, well. yeah, thank you. Thank you. The, mm -hmm. um, the self side, uh, was, you know, not as inhibited. good inhibited, In inhibited. And I was, you know, and I've always, and this was probably, um, and I know me and you've talked personally to like the, the, the spiritual side of things and how like one can get like an ego, maybe spiritually or something like that. And I've always thought of like, oh, I've always, you know, pride myself in like trying to be balanced. And it's like, well, I guess there's some things I actually still need to work on here. Maybe I need to, you know, step back, drop that a little bit, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, but you also told me that most people, you know, and being a product of maybe Western society that you say rarely I mean, what, rarely anyone's personal side is better than the work side, correct? Rarely, rarely. Why? Yeah. Because <laughs> most of us are encouraged by the work, work, work ethic, right? Yeah. I, I heard this gentleman on another podcast the other day say something fascinating. He said, we have countless podcast conversations about uh, discipline around productivity. He said, but almost none 
on relationships, friendships, lovers, uh, to ourselves. He said, and that too is evidence of this work ethic culture. You know, everything is productivity. Are you working hard enough, fast enough? Are you being disciplined enough? And he said, and yet if we don't have those relationships, it doesn't matter how much we work or how much money we have, we're not going to be happy. So it's the nature of this culture of ours that always puts the focus on work, raises it above all else. But the challenges, even when the work scores are so strong as yours are, if we don't practice self-care enough, if we don't uh, address those different dynamics, like, you know, just being perhaps athletic or running or taking care of our exercise in whatever way, or our nutrition, all of those are the foundations that all of that work stuff potentially gets compromised because that foundation, you know, the foundation of the house, that has to be the strongest besides how the house is built. If you build that house on sand, you're not going to have a house that stands for long. And that's what I try to say to people. Look at that self side is the, is the what's underneath the house you're building for your trading, for your work. Know that that is what it sits upon. Is that getting your attention at least as much as the work side is? Mm, right, right. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask um, some of your thoughts on it, JJ, um, as I know you, you took it. Yeah, um, I took I wanna- it. I just, yeah, let, let me, I just want to say one thing yeah, before I lose my train of thought ahead, here yeah, and then, yeah. then we'll, we'll throw it to you. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Cause one of the things I guess like on the self side, Kim, I, I thought was um, intriguing and then like talking through it, it kind of, it made a lot more sense uh, to me. And I forgot exactly what the, what the metric was, but um, it was indicating that I might like, or I have like, I'm tough on myself. I have, I set myself to higher standards, maybe unrealistic standards. And yes. so in turn, um, I might be lacking self-esteem in certain areas or, or something like confidence. that. And so confidence. in confidence. And so what yep. that actually, um, what I kind of like realize is it, that didn't allow me to accept my high scores and like, believe that I had, um, correct strengths in areas. Cause so like, well, like you, you even alluded to before, like, well, how me like having those type of scores. And That's so right. I thought that was, you know, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit that, that really like stood out to me. And that, and that's part, and you know, we just saw it in real time. You have incredibly strong scores, incredibly rare, unusually strong scores, Ray. And when you referenced it a minute ago, you made it sound as though, you know, your scores on the side, like you put your emphasis, even in the way you described it a minute ago, on where you were lacking ignoring that there's this huge chunk of strength. And that is what happens when the the dial is called self-image. And that is when we set an expectation of ourselves that is out of this world. And so our ability to reach an out of this world goal is probably not going to happen. And so what happens is then we start to self-criticize. We start to not feel as good about ourselves. Look at that, you loser. You didn't reach that goal. That among new traders is so common. I see often where they, they're like, I should be making this month in a month. I'm like, is what are you, a superhero? A Marvel <laughs> comic superhero? Like, 
But yeah. many of us do this. I myself, oh, my yeah. self-image oh, also yeah. when I did this score, ridiculously high. And because those are impossible standards, rarely do I meet up to it. And then my self-esteem and self-confidence will, will be low. And so it's, you can see, oh, that has taught me when I create goals. Now I look at the goal and I'm like, hmm, maybe it's not in 30 days. Maybe it's in 90. Yeah. Doesn't mean I don't create goals, but now they're more pragmatic. They're more realistic. And then I have the opportunity to feel better about myself. So that's what's so fascinating to me. It's like the spider web. These things are all interconnected. And so for you to start to give yourself props and have more confidence over the strengths you have, how can that not show up in your, in your trading? If you begin to have confidence that you do have great judgment, how, how is that not going to let you lean more into what are your strengths? And also like, oh, okay, I'm inhibited by putting really in a, impractical expectations on myself. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's good stuff. It's really, um, yeah, it, sh- it sheds a lot of, a, a lot of light. That's, uh, that's for sure. JJ, what did, what did you think? What were some of your takeaways? I, I was completely blown away, completely blown away by this. It was just, uh, uh, you know, I've never really, because, you know, I kind of was raised in that, you know, you know, like when Tony Soprano went to the doctor, everybody thought he was weak, right? You know, and so we never and also I have three psychiatrists in my family who uh, like who just like for fun, like analyzing you like like Thanksgiving dinner. Right. They just oh, think it's no. fun to do that. Right. Well, you know, there must be must be fun. Yeah. Thanksgiving must be fun. huh? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, hey, look, you know, maybe they're self-medicating. I don't know. But anyway, uh, you know, there there's there's characters in my family anyway. They. uh uh, seriously. So I always just kind of was like, okay, psychology is cool. And I knew about Van Tharp and everything, but I was yeah. from the business. Right. So you, yeah. you know, like you make the donuts, you sell the donuts. What's, yeah. what's the psychology <laughs> here. Right. And then you get to the other side, right. Where you don't have the infrastructure, the support, the tools, all of those things that institutional traders have and the order flow, Yes. Uh, you know, so you're like, Oh, Okay. And I already kind of went through a little bit of this and fixed myself without knowing anything about psychology, because after 9-11, I lost everything, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was making, you know, about three to 500 grand a month mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, penthouse, two Porsches, you know, yeah. having the, had just had the life of Riley. And then, you know, all it takes is for a market to be locked for like five days. And then you get bought in on something, you know, and some bad things happen and everything, you know, but you're, you know, you're 28 years old, you know, so you don't, you know, you don't know what's, you know, you just, you know, you're, so all of that stuff goes back and, uh, you know, Mark Douglas in his thing, I remember him saying, he's, you know, how he called the, the, the Porsche place and told him to come pick up his Porsche. And I did the same thing too. But wow. after that, right, and I, I would laugh now, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. But after that, my self-esteem was because my whole identity was being a trader. Yeah. Right. And everything was wrapped up in that. And I had worked my ass off to get there, become successful, started from nothing. And then it's just gone. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah. oh, my God, who are you? Right. I'm just 
just JJ, you know, and it's just, that was, that was rough. That was yeah. really rough. Had uh, to be, having to face yourself, you know, and there was a lot of us that didn't make it through. I mean, I lost a lot of guys, you know, who, who sure. couldn't face it, you know, and they yeah. stepped in front of trains and stuff, you know? Yeah. So, sure. yeah, it's just, it, so that was really hard. And then you think you're kind of normal. Well, not normal, but you kind of balanced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you take that test yesterday and I'm like, Oh, I'm still doing a lot of this stuff, but this time I'm lying to myself or not even looking at it. Right. Where I, I just kind of glossing it over. Right. Because you're like, Oh, I know better than that. Right. Uh, and then you're like, Oh, wow. I really am putting way too much pressure on myself. Um, you know, and also I think after you've like, I've been down a couple of times in my life uh, where, you know, excuse the expression, you, you know, you don't have a, you know, a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. Nope. <laughs> and then you come back from that a couple of times. So yeah. I think you always have that, you know, you want to show that you can come back. You want yeah. to show that, you know, yes. uh, that you can build it up again. Uh, you know, and there's, you put a lot of pressure on yourself, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. to come back. And, and I think a lot of traders, cause you know, and traders will do that just on a day-to-day time frame. You take a bad trade, you want to come back from it. Right. Totally. Um, totally. You know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really fascinating. And I think it, it would have been, you know, it would have been different. I think uh, folks in your profession were sorely needed 20 years ago because I've just seen so many of my friends, mentors, um, you know, uh, guys, you know, guys who were making, you know, 200 grand a month. And then, you know, six months later you see them and they're on skid row, literally, yeah, you know, and, and it's just because they just can't handle it and there's nobody to talk to. So they crawl into a bottle or something like that. And it's just, um, I, I really wish I had known you 20 years ago because we could have helped a lot of people. I think we you know? could have been, you know, yeah. I, I think that, there's still a lot of people out there that need to learn this and understand this for themselves because, you know, most people are thinking that if they acquire those things that the culture, society, Madison Avenue tells us will make us feel good about ourselves, then they'll have peace. And so those JJ, like yourself, who have been, you know, to the top and to the bottom and then the top, you know, what happens is you realize, oh, even having all of that money doesn't give you that peace of mind within or equanimity. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it nicer having money? In oh, yeah. Way, it's wonderful. I'm not, not yeah. anti-money or success or Lamborghinis, but, <laughs> but I know that even having those, if you don't have that internal alliance and a sense of yourself beyond those things, then you will still feel empty because oh yeah it it doesn't it doesn't nourish you. It's it's you know I say getting your wants met without getting your needs met, it's like eating Chinese takeout. You're hungry (laughs) an hour later because you're not fully nourished. It's it's true. It's true. And and that I can I can attest to that. Because I'll tell people, you know, I'm, I'm what am I? I think I'm 54 now, and you know, um, I, I tell people there's, you know, there are times uh, I, I still remember I had like, you know, eight figures in a in a in an account, and I never felt more lonely on a Friday night ever. 
And then sometimes, you know, when you're like 20 years old or 18 years old, you got 20 bucks in your pocket and you have the time of your life. Totally. Right. Totally. Like totally. it was just the best time of your life. And you didn't, you know, you had 20 bucks. You didn't even know how you were going to get home. Yep. You know, yep. and, uh, and, and that feeling yeah. um, you don't get, you know, yeah. no matter how many zeros you park behind it. Well, it's the needs, yeah, you know, like yeah. that's the, the difference between needs versus wants. And, you know, that's the first thing too that I'll do with a client is ask them, I give them something called the universal needs list. This was created by Marshall Rosenberg. He is the creator of a language called nonviolent communication, NVC yeah. for short. And this universal needs list, which you can get anywhere. If you just Google universal needs list, you can look at that and hear, and here are some needs off the top of my head that I often see see people in today's culture don't have met. They don't get their need for respect met. They don't get their need for community met, certainly after this pandemic for two oh, years. Yeah. They don't get their need for uh, to see and be seen. They don't get their need for creativity, certainly not getting their need for adventure met externally, right? Because you can't really travel. Yeah. So when you don't have, and, and there's so many more that I could speak to, but when you don't have these basic needs met, you're going to have these feelings, apathy, anger, frustration, depression, that those feelings are inevitable when needs are not met. And so what I feel is so important for people is understand what your basic needs are. Your ability to secure them is dependent on you understanding what they are. But if you don't know what they are, how are you going to actually be able to get them met and in turn have the feelings like equanimity, joy, peace of mind, right? Why, why would a guy potentially want a Lamborghini? Well, if we're imagining what's underneath that want, what's the need? Respect, yeah. maybe, right? Definitely. So, so if, but what happens if that guy starts to get respect? Does he still have to have the Lamborghini? Maybe not. Maybe he has it because it's fun to have, but he doesn't have to have it because now he feels respect, which was actually driving that want in the first place. Definitely. That's what Definitely. I say. Find out for yourself. Get Because you can get that need met in a lot less costly way. And I don't just mean monetarily. But if respect is the one that you're really searching for, which sometimes for traders it is, they're looking, they're hoping their PL will finally earn them their need of respect. And what I want to caution them to is that if you're looking for your respect to come from trading, you're probably going to be left empty handed because even the traders at the top of that game, the top of that ladder, that sense of respect that is internal or external isn't coming because they're trading. It's because they have people in their life that respect them, not because they made it, but because of who they are in their day to day. Hmm. So the, yeah. the vehicle, the vehicle is just the vehicle for the needs to be met. The, um, what, what I, what I was thinking while you're, where you're saying this came in, this is something I, um, I really enjoy about your approach and I think why we like, you know, really get along um, is, you know, it, it's your, I know a lot of people might get turned off by maybe like a spiritual approach to 
trading or, you know, you know, and I tell those people, stop being pretentious first off, you know what I mean? Like, but, but you're, but you, but you, you have the, the academic side, you come, you know, you come with that as well. And like the, these, so, cause like you said, the first time you work with clients, you start with the needs and that's what we, that's what we did too. Um, and I, I think now, like where, where do the, like the, the needs, cause like, cause that's kind of more in the, the academic realm, correct? Or and like, it's work. Well, like the basic, well, like the, the universal basic needs, because like, if I'm thinking from like a spiritual aspect, I does, does, does that like correlate? I don't know if I'm, I'm trying to like phrase this question in a, the correct manner, because like, I guess if we're talking like from a spiritual aspect, like should and I like want to be more like uh, neutral or I don't need this. I don't need that. Or, right. or am I confusing needs with wants? Such, such a great question. I, 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 I hear where you're coming from because I do believe that there are, there is, there are some spiritual traditions that will request that we deny our human needs. And there is certainly a cultural uh, bent towards, you know, the concept of sin. Like if you look at the seven deadly sins, those actually are just feelings, you know, lust, for example, envy, right? These are just feelings. So there, there are some traditional, uh, let's say, practices or religions more than spiritual. There's some religions or kind of spiritual practices that have advocated that we should really deny uh, our uh, human needs. But I don't, I would say as a spiritual person myself, I don't subscribe to those outlooks that came about. It's, it's understood. I understood it from what I learned with Marshall Rosenberg to be a domination culture and a domination culture comes from, you know, some are worthy, some are not, you have to earn your worthiness. And if you haven't earned it, then you're going to suffer. And that is still with us today in the culture. We are living in a domination culture. And that's part of why this philosophy, internal philosophy is, is, you know, damaging to so many people. And one of the things Rosenberg says is that the word deserve is actually the most dangerous word in the English language, because it implies that there are those who are deserving of, let's say, love and belonging and everything else that comes with it. And there are those who don't deserve it. And if you don't behave, if you don't, you know, do what we, the power structure tells you to, you will be crushed like a bug. And that forces us into not being individuals who are comfortable with having needs and further being comfortable with trying to secure and get them, getting them met. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I remember first thinking, I was like, man, like how, how base, like I have needs, like how, you know, like right. I don't have no needs, but like, that was, <laughs> that was my like initial reaction to it was mm. like, oh, I'm a butt, like, you know, like as yeah. if you have a shame to have human needs. Yeah, yeah. I think that rate is way more common uh, than anybody realizes. And, you know, I found when I first looked at this needs list, be, just because of the way I grew up, I was not encouraged to have needs. I was encouraged to be in tune to other people's needs. 
I wasn't allowed to have them and nor were they going to be met potentially in the environment I was in. So what I learned to do is numb myself from my needs. I disconnected myself from my needs, which also means leaving your physical body and going up here to the intellect where you don't have to be with those discomforts of not having needs. And what does that do? Uh It cuts you off from how much of us is our body. We're just up in our head thinking our way through things. We're disconnected to so much information and our, our whole self is not just our head. Our head would like us to think that, but that's, not yeah, true. Yeah. yeah that, and that's, that's why I really, I really like your, your, your coaching because it's not just all like, and, and I do like academia, like I said, like you said, I love reading and all that, but it's not, there, there's, there's something else. You but know. academia, right. It's fascinating. You say that and I'm flattered and thank you, but I'm not an, I'm a, probably I'm a, an autodidact, which means I'm self-taught all yeah. that I know is from books. I, I did not, I went to Fashion Institute of Technology. I have an associate's degree from FIT, which is why the, the beginning of this conversation about the Crocs is so upsetting to my ability. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, did I offend you? Are you wearing Crocs? No, oh, no, oh. I never oh, wearing oh, Crocs. Oh, she, oh, she went to FIT. FIT. She, she went to FIT. FIT. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even- Crocs in my household. <laughs> I mean, not a lot of even see Crocs. They, they offend me. So much. No, I'm just kidding. But the That's point awesome. is, like, I and I honestly believe, Ray, in a lot of ways. You know, when I first uh, was in finance, I, I have to say there were a lot of people around me with these very fancy degrees, and I was definitely feeling like, "Ooh, who am I?" And yet, I have to say, especially the research I did for my book, Transforming Wall Street. Um, it actually, there it is. Thank you for having yep, yep. Um, that <laughs> book. That book taught me so much because I wound up reading Adam Smith's book, oh. uh, Theory of Moral Sentiments, which was a hard book to read. Not really hard, but just repetitive, but old English. And um, I began to see things about the way Adam Smith talked. He's known as the father of capitalism. The way he talked about capitalism was very different than what I thought Adam Smith advocated. His book, The Wealth of Nations, is actually speaking to what all people of a nation have. When you you start to read Adam Smith, he was a moral uh, philosopher, you begin to realize he was advocating that what has to happen for a nation is the ability for all to experience wealth, not just a select few. So I thought because I wasn't an academic, I must be misunderstanding him because all these people with MBAs are saying that Adam Smith is why they do what they do. So I called uh, Glasgow University, which is where Adam Smith was educated and became a teacher many years ago. And I asked for the expert on Adam Smith. And I was like, hey, what am I missing? He seems to be an advocate of the little guy as well as, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I was like, what, what am I missing? He's like, you're not missing anything. I'm like, how can I see this? I, I don't have this fancy degree. And he's like, because most people don't read Adam Smith, Kim. They just listen to what their professor what had to told. say about. Yeah. And that they tell them one piece of information. He's like, but you went in and read his books. So not to, not to put a knock against academia, but what I'm trying to say 
the book taught me doing the research myself for my book is that when you come, and this is also a cautionary tale for traders, when you come from academia, you have a tendency to think right and wrong. This is the way, this isn't the way. You get very black and white because you were rewarded in that system to do it the right way. How do they keep kids in a classroom? Well, you have to make some feel bad to, to keep order. There's other ways to work with children, but this is, our, this is our system. Our system of education is set up to be right and wrong. So when you grow up in that, and I've seen a lot of educated traders who come out of having really great degrees, they struggle at the beginning because trading is not black and white. Mm -hmm. It's 50 shades of that color gray. And that is hard for people who have been rewarded for right and wrong. So uh, for me as an entrepreneur, I believe I've been able to have the success I've had because I didn't come out of that rigid line of thinking. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't, I wasn't um, implying that you came from academia, but I, I know you, you study and you read mm -hmm. and I know you're very versed in psychology and I, yeah, I, I think that's the, the right way to come is, is a good blend of both, yeah. um, you know, and um, yeah, I, I love what you're talking about with the, you know, because the, the black and whiteness, right? Because life isn't black and white, neither. Yeah. And that, that's what's, you know, I, I've learned, I've learned a, a more about life and we've talked and I don't, we're not, we don't have to go down this route. And I've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast. And it's like, I've learned more about life. I mean, especially when I started off playing poker, like and learned about myself from playing poker and I think that's probably why these things were like you know or I was drawn to them or why this was like my my calling is because like this this taught me about you know myself uh, really um, for, sure. for sure it's a heroic journey trading is a heroic journey and those who are able to live with that humbling of it you know that JJ spoke about how it humbles you every day I mean, how fabulous to have a career that keeps it real for you, that forces you to be with the shadow side of yourself. I mean, it's like the market, think of the market as Yoda. The market is your Yoda, teaching yeah. you where you're attached, teaching where you get too big for your britches, teaching when you're not confident enough, right? If you think about that scene with Yoda in the, in the swamp with Luke Skywalker because he's trying to make him become a Jedi Knight. And there's this great scene where, where Luke says, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid. You know, there's this like, and, and Yoda kind of says like, you know, you might be afraid. He's like, I'm not afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. And Yoda's like, you will be, you will be. Like that is what hubris can do to us right hubris can be like i'm not afraid i'm not going to be human like no you are human i hate to break it to everybody unless you're from another planet and you're listening to this like you are human and that means you're going to have some shadows and you're going to have some things that get in your way doesn't make you wrong it makes you part of what each of us is a yeah. human fallible human being yeah but yeah. boy if you want to really develop your game and get as conscious as possible, whoo, trading's going to do it to you. It sure, it, it sure is. And it's, you know, I, I think one of the greatest things or it, I think one of the greatest things I've learned from it and um, 
and taking it into real life. And it's something I've been thinking on recently. And I've had conversations with a person extensively on this, uh, becoming okay with being wrong. And it's, you know, as a trader and, you know, I think of, uh, Brian Lee, who we both know very well. And I, I think very highly of him as I think you do too. Um, you know, he only wins like a 25% ish of his trade. So he's wrong 75% of the time, you know? And, and like, I think like, you know, me probably one of my like delusions I've had when I was younger is like, I always wanted to be right. I wanted, you know, or whatever the case, whatever the the root of that is. And, um, you know, worthiness Worthiness um, is the root of that. You know, we, we think we're only worthy if we're right. Yeah. And it's worthy even when you're mistaken. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost a, you know, uh, a relief to like, be like, Oh, okay. I don't have to be right about everything in the world. (laughs) It's okay to like, not know. It's okay to be like, Oh, I was wrong about this. Let me reform, reassess my opinion. And it's okay. (laughs) It's, and I think that's a, that's actually a beautiful thing to, to come at it that way, instead of being very like rigid, uh, or just be, yeah. The weight that lifts off your shoulders when you no longer have to know everything or be right about everything. Like think what kind of pressure you put on yourself when you think you have to know it all. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And that's something that like, I, 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 you know, we're so used to being wrong on the other side because when they, when they train you and back when you start like in the early nineties, they don't, I mean, there was no human resources or anything like that. So, you know, they're like, sit over there. Don't say anything. Right. You're like, can I do anything? Yeah. Get me a coffee. Don't screw it up. Right. Sit there. Shut up. You're an idiot. Right. You're like, so there's no, and like, if you speak there, like you're wrong, shut up. Right. And so that's how they train you. So, you get used to being wrong. That was one thing I was okay with, right? It was That's the discipline, but they, they yeah. beat that out of you. It's like, it was like horses. boot camp. Yeah. You experienced it like true yeah. boot camp, yeah. you know, and, and, in, and in boot camp it, in a way is fabulous because but, what it yeah. does is it gets you, you know, it, it builds your immunity to discomfort. Yeah. Right. Why, why does any military put people through a boot camp? Because they're trying to show you that pain, cold, wrong, uh, you oh, know, yeah. maybe being yelled at isn't as isn't as awful as you think it is. Like, I know. Yeah. I mean, I had my, my first know. client was a, my first client was a Swiss baker <clears throat> and he he would call he, he I think his whole method of communication was yelling. Right. Oh, and, you know, he, he called, and this was like 1995, 96. He called his assistant, his slave, like in front wow. of clients, wow. right? You know, like this is what these guys were like. So, you know, yeah, it was good because, you know, being a nightclub bouncer, it was okay. I'm like, okay, this is no big deal, right? At least he's not swinging a table leg at my head or something, you know? Exactly. I could, this I could deal with, you know, he calls me an idiot every time he, te- he speaks to me, right? Yeah. But yeah, that, that was completely, that was different. And then. I, I do see that because I do see a lot of traders and, you know, feeling like you where you're right. Whereas on the other side of things, you're always, because I don't know, the, the business that I did was very sort of dodgy. And it was always like running next to a fire, carrying a can of gasoline instead of a bucket of water. 
So you were always waiting for something to go wrong. Right. So I had that yeah. trepidation in me and, uh, and that was actually counter. That was bad sometimes because that would make you hesitate. Yep. For sure. Right. For that sure. would like, I would see a trade and I'd yeah. be like, Oh yeah, that would have worked. Oh, why didn't I take it? Well, you know, you just, cause you couldn't execute because you think that you're that it's not going to work. Right. Yep. Exactly. So, that, yeah. and, that, and, and that's your, your story just now gives such a great, you know, spotlight to how different environments, different yeah. habits, practices have different results. Mm-hmm. And if you've had a collection of different ones, just like JJ has had, right? Like, as you just spoke with that, you're going to have these benefits to that and there are going to be some costs. Yeah. So the key is understanding which are which, so that you can better understand how you show up in a, in a crisis. Some people are going to respond really well under pressure, right? Those who have effective decision-making oh, yeah. capacities, which is a strong strength of both of yours. You both have capacity to make really great decisions under tremendous pressure when the fire is raging. Not everybody has that. Now, you guys knowing that, it means you can perhaps lean into trusting your effective decision-making in a pinch more deeply, more widely, certainly in a trade. I do make effective decisions. This index indicates that to me. So I can lean in that. And then in a different situation, I have a tendency to be super hard on myself. I might raise the bar to Olympian levels, Mm. that might be the place that's costing me. So maybe I start to manage my expectations to a more uh, human level. And these, so we're, we're gonna have these little, you know, facets to ourselves like a diamond, just begin to start to get more curious about who you are, how you are. And then all of those things that have happened in your life thus far, start to realize where, where have they strengthened you? Where might they be blind spots? It's, it's just that simple. It's yeah. just that simple and that complicated, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's okay. really cool. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to ask, cause you know, to, to the, the, the characteristic you, you brought up or, or the metric, um, you know, ha- have an effective decision-making, um, and, you know, under pressure, um, I would imagine like, you know, that's what you need, to, you know, a quality to be a trader, right? I mean, we have a, yes. so many different inputs, so many different things we have to make, we have to make a timely yes. decision and like split second could be like mean all the difference in the world. Someone who scores low on that, let's say you have someone who you're you're coaching, they score low on that. Yeah. Um, is that going to be a red flag to be like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't trade or, or is there going to be like, Hey, like, listen, we have to improve on this. And it, is there a path to improvement? What, what, would, what would you say? It, it would be a collection of what the other, their other scores are indicating if it's okay. a real cautionary red flag, but yes, there's going to be people who are going to have that along with a few other scores that are going to indicate to me, they are not suited to trading. Um, one of the scores, these scores are somewhat, they will change over time. They don't change right away. Like 
you know, if you took it a year later, it might be a little different and you've worked on some of what you see in it, but there is one score that does not change and that is around work ethic. Uh, so if that is a score and that is actually value of work, it's called, and that's on the self side, believe it or not. And what that means is you personally, do you value work? Do you value, you know, being uh, able to get your hands dirty? And there was one score that was not my client, but uh, the, the organization that, you know, approached me about this, where this person had been living on an inheritance for the majority of his life, and that had ended. And when this person took that score, their value of work was actually quite low. And this role that he was about to step into uh they were concerned about that and they the score was indicating he did not value work well is it any wonder he he hadn't had to work for a living so he had not developed a personal you know relationship to work ethic so if that score showed up along with a lack of effective decision making I would definitely tell this person to be very very cautious about whether that's for them God knows trading is going to ask a lot of work of you. And if you don't really value that, that's going to be tricky. Not very few people come from an inheritance, but there could be other indicators that they don't value work and you want to know this about yourself. But there are ways to increase your effective decision making, but it is a collection of scores that one would look at. Work task, though, your ability to work. Um, I can't imagine any trader, if they don't have that score strong, they're probably going to, it's going to be an uphill climb. It's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, another thing this index shed a light on, uh, and then I guess we can, we can move on, but I thought this, this was a good one that really hit home for me and, and JJ, I think you would definitely <laughs> attest to this one. Uh, cause you know, we, we have our trading room and so oftentimes, um, you get newer traders come in. I mean, we got plenty of experienced, very good traders, but then you sometimes you get the new person who comes in and I, you know, and you could speak to what the metrics are, you know, for the listeners, but, um, you know, I was reading the descriptions and going through it and it was saying that like, I scored high on something, but what this could lead to is impatience, big picture. Big, impa picture. big picture. Okay. Big picture is the metrics that, um, but what it can lead to, it's like, hey, you scored good, but listen, here's here could be a downside to this is that you could be very impatient with people. You could, you know, get fed up, et cetera, et cetera. And I was always like wondering where like that was like mm -hmm. um, was coming from. And like, so in turn, what this kind of made me, because because honestly, it kind of puts even a, a positive spin on it in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. Is that like, oh, okay, I'm actually scored good, but like, I just have to... Um, I don't know what it was for me, but it was like, Hey, like I started off, I was new before. Um, I have, you know, I guess maybe a little bit more empathetic with people and it's like, Hey, listen, I was new too, at, um, you know, and just, I guess dial me back a little bit to where, you know, I'm not, you know, because JJ, you talk about like, you know, the type of environment you grew up in. I, you know, I played sports and so it was always very yeah. tough. People, oh, just, yeah. you know, coach yelling at you. Oh, so it was yeah. kinda coming from like a tough, you know, yeah. I meant good to yeah. people, but it was more of a tough love. Yeah. type of approach but you know maybe some people need a gentler approach <laughs> yeah. or you know it's a different environment now especially with younger people and so you gotta you know you gotta know how to communicate with people and i think that kind of uh sure. really helped me and so i thank you cammy for that like because it's helped you know 
helping us. And so I'm not, you know, Oh yeah. JJ, I guess. (laughs) No, and it too. And even me, like, I mean, the way I talk to somebody in a retail trading room versus the way you talk to somebody on a desk uh, is just completely (laughs) night and day. And Ray, I mean, like, okay. Like Ray's old school, like Ray was raised old school, Long Island. Right. So like, they're not really, you know, let's not talk about our feelings, you know, like get to work. What are you doing? You know, when you're standing there, you're, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Get to work. Right. So that's the way he was. And so was I, like, I mean, my father was just like, Hey, like, you know, they literally call you a idiot, you know, like the Butabi's father, you know, on night of the Roxbury, like idiot, useless, get to work. You know, that's how they talk to you and your monkey brother. Yeah, exactly. Right. But now the whole, you know, the whole, you know, I've I've kind of been away from society when I was away for 20 years, yeah. living in Vancouver, just like, you know, in my old little stock world. And then you come out and see people are a lot more sensitive now and you can't talk to people like that. Right. So it's 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 different. It's very different. And, and uh, sensitive is one thing, but big picture, which you both have really, really strong big pictures judgments. You know, your skill set there is so strong that your ability to see the chessboard and all of the movements almost instantaneously is such a strength. And it could be a little frustrating because so many other people won't have that strength. Mm -hmm. And because they don't, it's a cautionary tale to say, wow, very few will see what I'm able to see. How do I begin to be patient and realize they might need a minute to catch up because I've already arrived to this end result and they're still processing. So it just, it lets you not feel so isolated if people don't think as fast as you, like what's wrong with them? Well, nothing's wrong with them. They have different strengths. They process differently, but it's helpful to know that, you know, I have a strong big picture as well, guys. And, you know, with my team, I, I, I've really, it, it's helped me be a better manager because I realized, okay, I'm already at the end of this and they're still talking about it, but I got to let them finish. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's recognizing, okay, we get there fast. We see consequences that other perhaps don't. And if anything, then we can encourage them. Hey, what are the consequences? Have you thought those through? And they might be like, no, I really didn't. Okay, but people who have a big picture, we can guide others. We can encourage others to look in ways that we do automatically without even thinking about it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. That's yeah, it's so big. True. Yeah, no, it's big because it, it could help help me. I, I think it's helped me align. You know, maybe people can misinterpret intentions or like mix up like oh the words, and so this helps me align my intentions you know, or be a better effective communicator or more patient or more, you know, whatever the case is. Um, and so I thought that's been, you know, good. I could be more of a service to, yeah. you know, to, to, to other people. So, which is, which is great. For sure. Which you already uh, are though, which you already are, which your scores show us that you already are a huge contribution to others. Um, and if anything, it would be nice if you turned up the volume on being a contribution to yourself. Ah, yes. Yeah, that's true. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's uh, true. He is hard on himself. I remember when he first started, you know, and uh, you know, cause he's, you know, he's, and, and I, I was like, you know, he, he, you know, 
I remember, you know, uh, Steve going, oh, man, he, you know, I'm like, no, no, he wants it really bad. He wants it really bad. This is a good thing, right? Yeah. He's just being hard on himself. He'll he'll relax. And he just relaxed yeah. into it. And boom, it clicked. And, uh, and I know exactly what you're talking about, too, because my parents were raised under the old British system. Yeah. And they used to always tell me, you're so slow on the uptake, right? You know, like, you know, if you were in London right now, these kids would be running circles around you. You're so, you know, like you don't pick things up as quick as you should. So wow. you would always have to like, you, like, I always felt like I don't understand it fast enough. Right. Huh. It wasn't just to understand it, but to understand it within like 30 seconds. Otherwise you're an idiot. Yeah. So, you know, well, that was your boot camp, JJ. That was, yeah. Right? Your big picture score is pretty freaking incredible. So clearly whatever <laughs> they did, they put that fire onto you to really put the, the fear of God quickly. into me. That's what they did. They made me think I was an idiot. I'm so, sorry. Was, <laughs> I wish they didn't, but you definitely that is definitely one of your strengths for sure, that big picture. Um, and it's you know, look, uh, we we are all gonna have our different places where we can lean into but realizing okay others are going to have different ones helps us helps us interact with them at, at a minimum right because our because then we may at times feel like oh i'm able to see this how come they don't and it could potentially also eat away at her self-confidence if we think well maybe i'm wrong why do i see this if they don't see this but as a trader if you know that about yourself that means you might see things on those yeah. screens that other people don't yeah it's true yeah absolutely so yeah i mean this is i think this is really like highlighted like the um you know the like the, the benefits of all this and how this in there correlates with trading and you know it's it's Cause I can see it just, sometimes it's tough for this to really stick and resonate with people, but you know, more than likely these are newcomers that don't understand this and you just got to mm -hmm. give it some time. Cause I think anyone who's experienced knows the value oh, um, yeah. of, of these things. Uh, Kim, I did get a listener question. There, there was a question okay. from a listener. Awesome. And then I have a, uh, you know, I think I have one or two off the wall Ooh. questions for myself. Yeah. Um, the question is why do most people fear success and what are ways a person can identify they are feeling success underneath the surface? That they're fearing success under the surface? Yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do with us being tribal beings. And if you're coming from a poor or middle-class background, uh, success potentially means isolation. It means perhaps the people that have been in your life thus far won't be there. Uh, perhaps they will leave you or you will be bored with them. But either way, to be isolated is, was death for us, right? Thousands of years, we survived as tribal creatures. And when you do start to financially up level, uh, sometimes people can be threatened by that around you or, or not understand you or judge you. So I think it's, a, it's an understandable uh, perspective to potentially be afraid of being alone and not have anybody who's there for you. Um, but also I think the fear of success also can sometimes indicate that you have not worked out your relationship to money. There are people, even on the spiritual level, who think that having money is dirty, having a lot of money is bad. Uh, I still am shocked at how many people are still, you know, 
that we've been taught that culturally as well, right? That um, money is the root of all evil. Like there's a whole bunch of catchphrases that are still in our cultural vernacular that somehow imply if you have a lot of money, you must've done something wrong. And I think there, they, there's a money harmony assessment that uh, Olivia um, Melman has. I think it's called moneyharmony.com. It's a free assessment. And one of the terms she describes is a money monk. And that's a person who thinks that the more money you have, uh, you probably are not really a clean person, a, a, a honest living person. So those are the two reasons I think success can be, we can self-sabotage around it. T. Harv Eker talks about, uh, in his book, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, that we have a money temperature, a money set point. And this is why uh, lottery winners or uh, you know very young athletes who get a lot of money in a short amount of time uh, and or traders potentially, right, JG, back in the day, why they can you know have so much and then have so little so quick. Because if you have a money set point, let's say it's 68 degrees, then anytime you start to go below that, what happens in your house? Well, the heat comes on and gets you back to 68. And as soon as it gets you know, perhaps too hot, the air conditioner comes on and takes the heat down. So we have that set point within ourselves and we will keep equal, equalizing ourselves to that unless we start to investigate what are my money beliefs? What did my parents think about money? Were they, were they frugal? Were they coming from the depression era where they never even threw out tinfoil? Like, look at those things because those are informing your relationship to money. Yeah. And I, I know because you've recommended some books on this topic to me. Do you have, do you have any books you want to just give out there for the listeners? Around money, I'm, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to put forward, uh, besides T. Harv Ecker's book, um, is uh, Barbara Wilder's book, Money is Love. It's an absolute paradigm-shifting book, very short, and it is interrupts your default setting around money. It's, it's a game changer. Blew, blew my mind away. Blew my mind away when I read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an intriguing topic for sure. Because, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I've had certain uh, delusions as well around it. And then I've seen some of like the, you know, people like, oh, like you can't. It's just a funny concept. People don't think you can get, you can obtain a lot of wealth ethically. Right. Uh, you know, but there's a lot of people that do. And I, some of the most, like, I think like moral and ethical people I've met have been like ultra successful. Yeah. And I was like starting to think that I'm like, well, maybe that's a reason for their success is because they yes. were like exactly. ethical, moral yeah. people. Correct. Correct. Because they're in, yeah. they're in a place of abundance. When, when you come from scarcity and that happens in poverty, I mean, I know what poverty is. I, I know what it's like to not have a home. I know what it's like to go hungry because of different things that I experienced in my youth and the stuff my family went through. And I can tell you that it's really, really hard to not you know, see that as a context for the way you view the rest of the world, but you have to really do the due diligence and that place of scarcity can stay with you your whole life. Mm -hmm. You're always like, you know, afraid, like for women, it's that they'll be a bag lady, you know, for men, it's probably that they'll, you know, not be uh, seen as a man because men are mm -hmm culturally expected to be the provider still, even though it may not be happening, which is part of why 
I, I worry about a lot of men because of the because of the different things that are out there now. There, there isn't this cultural re-education of men where they I do identify tremendously with their net worth and their ability to oh, yeah. make a certain kind of money, right, JJ? Do you oh, see totally. that? Totally. And and that whole thing about the the fear of success because you'll leave other people behind. I actually went through that. Um, I, there were three of us. We all wanted to be traders. We were all roommates. The other two fell by the wayside. Two years later, I saw one of them. I was in a seven series BMW and the guy who was one of my best friends since we were like six years old, looked at me like he hated my guts and I never saw him again. It was, it was just a weird thing that you mentioned that because I've had that happen, you know, and it was really unsettling, right? Isn't it? Because you're like, hey, how you doing? And he just you're looks excited. at the car, yeah. you know, and yeah. he just kept walking. And I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, wanna, so that's, yeah. AJ, that's, I just want to yeah. say this, though, about that was all about him and his oh, yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. His stuff, he was measuring him and his own worthiness up against like, well, I don't get to be friends with JJ anymore because he's got more than I do. But yeah. that was his own head that did that to him. Yeah. You're ready to still be his friend. Well, yeah, well, it's like, I'm you, still thinking like we're eight years old, right? It's, totally, you know, you totally. Know, yeah. But he, but that is an, an example of, of a, a man whose sense of worthiness is all caught up in what he's made. And he feels now he doesn't get to be your friend anymore because he himself has held himself to this impossible standard. Yeah. But, but that, that's a guy who cut himself out of being friends with his best friend. Like what yeah. a cost that is to him. Yeah. Never mind to you. True, true. Incredible. Yeah, I think I think this 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 whole thing right, with the mo- with money too. And Kim, we were talking about like media's, you know, like the media and stuff a little bit. And I think, I, as just a general, um, I guess take across a lot of industries, I think the media loves to focus on outliers. Yeah. And it's like the one guy who made a lot of money unethically, and then yeah. just, people start generalizing like, oh, that's how everyone who's wealthy gets that's it, right. or. Oh, this kid, this 10 year old made half a million trading NFTs. Oh, everyone can make a half a million trading. You know, it's just like the, the same stuff over and over. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's just a little frustrating to me that people are still buying oh, yeah. this type of oh, stuff. Yeah. Well, that's what Hollywood Spoon feeds us though, right? What are the movies we see about finance or Wall Street? They're all the greed is good guys, right? That's why I wrote yeah. my book, Ray. Yeah, I wrote yeah. my book because I felt like we only heard about the bad guys, the unethical guys. They made the cover of the paper. And I wanted to know who were the guys who are eight and women who are able to financially find success and do it ethically, who did it consciously, who did it morally were was that possible where are the examples where are the role models for those who want to be a conscious capitalist and that's you know that book you know i was suggesting people do it after the occupy wall street movement i thought journalists should do it or some you know mucky muck who understands finance better than me and uh, nobody took me up on the idea and then at some point you know i walked past the strand bookstore and there's tony morrison quote in the window that said if there's a book you want to read and it hasn't been written yet and you must write it and i was like damn it i gotta do this book and that's and that's how it started but it was so inspiring to me because look i'm an entrepreneur i want to have that financial success and i wanted role models 
that could do, I could do this ethically, consciously with integrity, you know, meet those role models. Yeah. I was saying, yeah, we had, uh, there's an example, Tom Basso, he was on our podcast and, you know, I remember saying to him, I said, Jesus, if you had been my boss 30 years ago, uh, you know, my life would have been completely different. You know, you know, I wouldn't have been in this box of stress continuously, you know, like for decades. Right. He's a special man. He's a special man. But let me just, let me say this to you, JJ, and to you, Ray, you guys are role models. You guys are lighthouses on that dark and rocky shore to so many people. I'm honored to be, you know, in your lives at all, because when I first saw you, Ray, I met Ray before I met you, JJ. I was like, wow, this guy, this guy cares. This guy's got a heart. This guy is super smart, but he gives a damn. And, you know, look, those are the people I like to spend my time with. I like to spend my time with people who are the lighthouses on the shores, the shores that are rocky and dark and confusing. So just know that you guys are, maybe, maybe JG, you didn't get those role models when you were coming up, but damn it, man, you've been able to transmute that into becoming an incredible role model to human beings now in this market and you too, Ray. And that's, you know, it's everything. It's everything. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. That's too kind. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. The truth. So we got, all right, let's see. Let's see what else. Um, Kim, are you still, what, what's your, what's your routine like these days? I know you used to get up in the morning and row. Correct? Paddle. 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 Yes. Paddle. Are you still, are you still paddling getting up at the, the crack of dawn? Yes, except for these last two months because I hurt my back for the first time ever. I, I really didn't understand back oh, pain before. Oh, no. Like, you know, when people said their back hurt. I was like, kind of like, what's the big deal? Now I get it. <laughs> now I get it. So yeah, I used to get up at 3.45 up until two months ago, um, three days a week, uh, two days a week, and then uh, 5.30 uh, three days a week, I'd paddle on the ocean and I can't wait to go back. My, my chiropractor thinks I'm about ready to go back. So I do Pilates. I do outrigger paddling. Outrigger paddling though is my favorite because when you're out on the ocean, uh, you know, besides the sea creatures that are out there, we have dolphins a lot that swim with us when we're out there paddling. And, um, you know, you have to focus on so many parts of your stroke that you can't go into your head. You know, I mean, on one hand, you're focused on your rhythm and being in time uh, and you have to be sure you're in the right position and posture, but it's, it's like a moving meditation for me. I can't worry about, you know, business or work or get all caught up in the minutia of life because I have to focus at paddling. So for, and and this was something I wanted to say earlier too, for those who feel afraid of trying meditation, start with a moving meditation. Mm. Maybe it's running, maybe it's walking in the woods, maybe it's paddling. If you're lucky enough to have, you know, an ocean and it's not frozen over, (laughs) you know, find a way to lose your intellect in a process of repetition. That's why paddling, I mean, paddling is beautiful, being on the ocean, being in there, watching the sunrise is beautiful too. But more than anything, it allows me to lose myself 
in the oneness too. It makes me see how small I am, how small my troubles are when you're out there on the ocean, seeing all of these creatures swimming with you underneath the whales. We get the, we're right in the uh, channel between Maui and the big island is where all the humpback whales come for giving birth to their calves. And I'll tell you, once you experience that incredible conscious being called a whale, you're just like, oh my God, like what, what are we thinking with this planet? Like these beings are so magnificent and so in tune uh, that it just reminds you in, in a healthy way that you are humble, that you are small in the scheme of things. So it, it helps ground me a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think about like before me coming to meditation, you're talking about the uh, moving meditation. I think that's what always like working out has been for me yes. um, in a sense. Yes. And before, even before I came to actual meditation, I, um, you know, I bring up the paddling. I, uh, JJ likes to uh, bust my chops about this, this story, but I, I went um, canoeing. I don't know if it's the right word, but it was a little, it was a boat, had a paddle, but it was more of a relaxed thing down here yeah, in Florida. Could be kayaking could be kayaking. I think this was doing, I was kayaking, but yeah. it was at like a state park on this little yeah. river and yeah. you know, I'm going through blah, blah, blah. And then I see two alligators in the Whoa. water. This was not a peaceful, serene experience. <laughs> oh. My adrenaline clicked in, but my sharpness came back. I was like, Whoa, that was, um, low it's call. Close call. Well, we do have sharks here in Hawaii. And uh, I'm usually in a, a big 700 pound, you know, six man canoe, but there was, uh, there are one man canoes. And we did have, I did have a fellow paddler from my canoe club, Kauai High Canoe Club, shout out to them. Uh, in her one man, a shark came and, uh, you know, she was okay, but that shark wow. was moving her one man up and down. And she, Luckily, she must have effective decision making because she <laughs> leaned on her ama and just kept because she could have easily flipped into, yeah, wow. you know. So, yeah, the look, that is part of what probably makes some of these tasks exciting, right? I'm getting my need for adventure met every time I'm out there. Sure. You know, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm also out there in the pitch black and you can't really see when there's no moon on the ocean. So it, it is, is it a bit of a risk? Yes. I feel comfortable with that risk, but still, you know, it also reminds you how fragile life is, right? Which Absolutely. is we're going to die. We're all on our way to dying. It's going to happen. Hopefully not right away tomorrow, but it could for some of us. And yeah. the key is like, are we embracing our life to the best of our ability? And when we're exposed to nature, I think it reminds us, Hmm. hmm. Maybe it's a little closer than we want it to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you, you, you would love talking to, we, we've had him on the podcast twice um, already. He's one of like the newer market wizards. Um, Jason Shapiro is so mm -hmm. funny. We, we, we were talking about the same concept too, of like um, how people think so highly of themselves or they think like they can time the market. They're the outlier when it's like, these are all just the delusions uh, that people are telling themselves. And it's no, no uh, coincidence. He like meditated in Burma for like 30 days with monks. This guy, you, you never like expect it from this guy. You know what I mean? So some Jersey guy, some guy from Jersey, you know, um, traveling all around the world, but he's a, he's a, he's a big meditator too. So I was like, Oh, okay. That's yeah. 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 That's beautiful. And, and, you know, I love 10% happier. 
uh, that is written by Dan Harris, who is a uh, anchorman for Nightline for years. And he himself, that book, his book, 10% Happier, before he started the app, uh, he talked about the pressure he was under as a, a network newsman. And it was not, it's a lot like uh, working in finance and being a trader, incredible pressure to perform split second has to be perfect, just yeah. like finance, JJ, you know, that whole like incredible pressure. And he took two drugs to navigate it. Um, and then he uh, had two breakdowns on national television. And he was kind of like, if I don't get this shit together, I'm going to have no job. Uh, and meditation and his journey around that is what 10% Happier is all about. So he, that book is one of the books I'll recommend to people who are hesitant to even consider meditating. Like, are you kidding? I could never do it. I'm like, you know what? Read this book because he talks about how hard it was for him and how he found his way in. And now he has an app and that app allows you to in teeny tiny little chunks, begin the concept of not even meditating, but just noticing. Like you talked about before, Ray, being the observer of yourself. He has excellent teachers and guides around how you can do this in small ways, even in the midst of a busy day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's see what what else I got here. Um, okay, probably like last thing, we'll we'll touch on because I got to thank you for me uh, reading fiction now and me uh, actually loving fiction. You recommended me, which I love. It's probably my favorite fiction book right now that I've read at least. Uh, East of Eden. Wow. Um, absolutely amazing. And I didn't know I could learn about uh, life. Uh, learn about myself by reading a fiction book, which is which is incredible. What what's uh, what's next? What's up next for me to read? I'm gonna recommend the Midnight Library by Haig. Midnight Library. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. An incredible book at looking at how all the choices we make, no matter how small, impact not just ourselves but those around us, including strangers. And it also is fascinating. My perspective has shifted since reading it around regrets, even small regrets. Uh, they feel like they are have, they have dissolved for me as I, you know, wow. contemplate the story. It's a fiction, you know, a story of a woman looking at a lot of her life regrets, and when she gets an opportunity to go back and change those regrets, uh, they don't all turn out the way she thought they would, and that was very eye-opening for me. Interesting. I'm, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, the talks we've had today and, and like, you know, me being strong, big picture, I guess makes sense. And I know a lot of times people look at me like I'm crazy or people um, are like, what are you talking about? When I say that, like I East of Eden, like reading East of Eden has helped me trading. How does that even correlate? I, I'm not even sure necessarily, but like, I know, like, me, there's been so many different things I've looked at and then I could like, uh, that's helped me be a good trader, how being a trader has helped me be a better father or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think everything's intercorrelated and people just, you know, just embrace that, I guess, as I think what I would say. Well, you know, ultimately as a trader, your ability to imagine the person on the other side of your trade uh, is going to only strengthen you. There is somebody on the other side of every trade. And if you are not connected to what that perspective might be, how can you be so certain of your perspective? Mm. Fiction automatically 
escalates our empathy. We get to stand in the shoes of people that are very different than ourselves, who look at the world very different than we do. And when you get more exposed to other perspectives, how can that not increase your ability to be more tuned in to what is happening in the market? There is an energy every day in that marketplace. Are you connected to it or not? And fiction, in my opinion, helps us be all connected, not just to the market, but to ourselves and those around us. Yeah. Incredible. I think, I think we'll end, we'll end on that note. And so, um, Kim, really appreciate you coming on for the second time. I feel like we could talk, for, you talk forever. You know what I mean? We go, you know, what, almost two hours now. I think the last one was pretty long too. I really appreciate you. Uh, JJ, um, pardon words. Oh, did we lose him? Maybe we lost uh, him. Can I just reiterate I'm that? Right, I'm right here. Sorry. Oh, good, good, good. I go. think my, my headset had disconnected from the thing. Sorry about that. But sisters, thank you so much. Uh, mahalo Nui Loa. Mahalo you know, Nui Loa. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I so much appreciate everything you've done. Uh, Kim's helped me, uh, you know, personally and in, in work too. And she's just, uh, uh, she, you know, she's just, a, uh, she's a national treasure. So please, uh, you know, look at, uh, take a look at her stuff. I, I really can't, uh, you know, recommend anyone more. I'm just uh, completely... Thank you so much. Thank you, JJ. Very, very, very grateful. Thank you so much. You're both so gracious. Right. And remember, traderdiscipline.com if you guys want that free ebook about discipline. I'm going to give it, it's a, it's a little site just for your listeners, guys. Thank you. Thank oh, you. awesome. Trader Discipline. Do, do, you, um, do you want to speak, speak, like give, tell them a little bit about it or just tell them to go check well, it out? It, it's going to reiterate probably a lot of what we talked about today, how discipline is, you know, usually what every trader struggles with and how nuanced it can be. So, you know, it's a short ebook, but it does tackle a lot of what we talked about today by way of how you can increase your discipline if you are willing to, you know, look a little bit underneath the covers of your, who you are. Yes. Excellent. And so with that, that concludes today's episode of confessions of a market maker if you guys enjoyed the podcast please rate and review it for us if you'd like to join jj myself and its board of community traders you can join us at microefutures.com. make sure you guys go check out the ebook we'll put the link in the descriptions kim um for listeners go out and get her book uh transforming wall street i i i had to bring this on on screen to show you because i didn't think you believed me that i actually had the book so I wanted, I wanted to check it. like seeing it. It's fun to see you have it in your hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's you know for for those watching back on on the video. So Kim, thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be, right. we'll be in thank touch. you both. You guys, Absolutely. let me wax on. Thank you. Absolutely. So for the trading coach, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the grill of House Street. You stop. So.